You're listening to The One Room with a View Show. With Christopher Preston and Dan Orton. Hello and welcome to The One Room with a View Show with me, Christopher Preston, and the most glorious of all bastards, it's Mr. Dan Orton. Thank you so much. No problem. You equally are a fine bastard. Talking of bastards, what's going on today's show? What, are we going to have to censor all this out? No, I don't work for a school anymore. <laughs> <laughs> Come on. Praise the, praise praise the me, Lord. Praise me. Um, Our subject today is one Mr. Quentin Tarantino. Yes, the, the, the latter days of, of yes. the QT filmography. So he is nine and a bit films in. I don't want to get into that debate. That's the last thing I want. Yeah, officially, from his PR perspective, his canon, he's saying he's nine films in. Well, he's a liar. To, to something that he said, because he said that he's only going to do ten. Yeah. But, you know. He's done ten. We're going to talk today about Inglorious Bastards. <laughs> yes, sorry. Yeah. Uh, Django Unchained, The Hateful Eight, and because we couldn't watch it before the time of recording, uh, we're going to kind of speculate on Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. Whose fault was that, Phileas Fogg? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Um, I, well, this is why we're doing these summer specials in one big lump for you. Um, we, If you haven't already listened... I love listened, the spin we put on this. Yeah, it's just, this is like our ninth film. Uh, if you haven't already listened, we did a special on Toy Story uh, 1, 2, 3 and 4. We've also got for you uh, the Matrix 20th anniversary uh, anniversary celebration and now, of course, the latter-day Quentin Tarantino because we won't be back until November. So this should be enough to tie you You say over. celebration of the Matrix, but the, the, your, your review of the last two... Well, 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 they need to go back and listen to it. Shall we crack something on? something interesting. <laughs> Let's crack on. Yeah. Inglorious Bastards. Really setting the tone for the movie there. <laughs> yes. Um, well, you, just, you just want to watch the world burn, don't I you? I do, I really do. It's, you know, I'm unemployed now, I'm about to travel the world. Yeah, oh, jeez. The final podcast of the season, I can't remember what season this is. I think it's season six, but I'll say that tentatively. Inglorious Bastards 2009. Yeah. A return so ten, to four. So ten years old now. I can't believe this movie's ten years old, in the same way that I couldn't believe that The Matrix was 20 years old. Starting to feel just old <laughs> now I think I saw this film at um, and, and certain a certain subset of our listeners will will know will understand this mm. um, I think it was Campus Cinema oh really because that would have been your first you? first year at Exeter and I'm pretty sure they managed to bag Inglorious Bastards yeah because that must have been your first because it came out the summer of 2009 it yeah. came out in about August of 2009 and I remember that because I had gone to the fringe that year and I, I ended up watching this movie in Edinburgh. Uh, this was was seen as a bit of a return to form, I think, for Tarantino. It was the first movie since Death Proof, which I still think people see as the kind of runt of the canon. I know that there is, like, with film Twitter and the fact that there is these hot takes and things change yeah, yeah, on a day-to-day yeah, yeah. basis, I know that there's been a lot of love this week, a time of recording for Death Proof, and people being like, oh, well, it's a misunderstood movie, etc. I think it's, I mean, I, I think it is his worst movie. I think Inglorious Bastards is one of his best. I love Inglorious Bastards. So I'll say I... that right now, off, the, off, off, right off the, uh, right off the bat. I really love Inglorious Bastards. Um, what's the plot? <laughs> it's a very Tarantino remixing of history. So it's set in in Nazi-occupied Europe, hmm. uh, in which um, Colonel Hans Lander, played just incredibly by Christoph Waltz, hmm. is being tasked... Won an Oscar for it, didn't he? He did, absolutely. Yeah. His first of two, and we'll talk about the second one shortly. Yeah. Uh, he plays Colonel Hans Lander, who, who is the, the, the self-professed um, and acclaimed Jew hunter, uh, who has been tasked with rounding up any Jews that remain in Europe, obviously, for... for um, for execution uh, and alongside this we have a renegade band of inglorious bastards led by Aldo the Apache played by Brad Pitt uh, who are kind of performing their own reign of revenge and retribution yes, if you they're want. a ragtag band of soldiers aren't they yeah, from various and, units and these two worlds essentially collide don't they in as I said Nazi occupied Europe uh, to just 
violent carnage effect. Like, is that the plot? I think that's enough, isn't it? Pretty much, yeah. Hilarity it, ensues. And hilarity no, does um, ensue. I like I like this movie a lot. I agree with you. It's I big think... and brash, and as you say, it's very Tarantino. There's this sort of you know, the, the 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 loose approach to historical fact. Um, I mean, well, the complete reinvention of 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 what 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 did happen in history is um, yeah, there is it's, it's an I, alternate re, universe. Yeah, alternate, like re, I was going to say, revisionist seems a little bit too <laughs> underwhelming. Underwhelming, <laughs> considering the approach he takes to uh, to the, the the defeat of the Nazis at the end of the film. There's so much to enjoy from the first moment uh, of this movie. I think that Tarantino himself says that the first sequence in this movie is the best thing he's ever written, and I'm kind of I'm kind of with him if I'm being honest. This I, is the scene in the cabin when Lander is Monsieur Le Petit <laughs> sweet sequence, yeah, where Lander turns up in France to Monsieur Le Petit's farms and turns up to interrogate Monsieur Le Petit about yeah about harboring Jewish people yeah under mm. his floorboards and it is I remember which he is he is absolutely and Lander knows this from the moment he gets out I can remember um. I can remember being a bit nervous about watching this movie in cinema. It's not the first Tarantino movie I'd seen. I think it's the first Tarantino movie I'd seen in cinemas, though, because I was about 19. Yeah, yeah. I'd watched Pulp Fiction. I'd seen Reservoir Dogs. Um, I hadn't seen The Kill Bills, I don't think, yet, maybe. But I remember going, and, and I, the, there was an interview, I think, with Empire or someone beforehand. You know, I mean, Tarantino is spectacular to watch in an interview situation <laughs> and he'd said that his whole thing about this first sequence although it continues throughout the movie is it's about tension it's about getting the elastic band and pulling it yes. for as long yeah. as you can until the the band you know breaks or or, or the tension and it's, is that taken. scene is a masterclass of tension absolutely like building tension as you say pulling that elastic band to, to breaking point it's probably one of the best opening scenes in cinema not just in the tarantino filmography mm. it's it's well shot it's beautifully directed the interplay between those two characters is fascinating and um sets you know sets the the tone for the rest of the movie i can remember watching that wide shot where you see the the ss rolling through these beautiful fields and you can see monsieur lepidi is in the in in the field i think he's like cutting up um firewood yes yeah. uh, by his little cabin and i can still remember there was this kind of like close up on the axe and i remember thinking whose head is about to come off but actually it's just a kind of like subversion you get in and apart from the final few seconds of that of mm. that sequence where there is explicit violence the rest of it is just the two men talking and it's everything that's going on between the dialogue it's it is brilliant, isn't it? it? It's no, it's incredible. He he, the man knows how to write, he knows how to direct. Yeah. Um, and in in Christoph Waltz, he found a remarkable uh, conduit for his talent for his words. Yeah, I remember reading. I think even recently that Tarantino was worried that I mean in his. <laughs> in his own way when is he ever worried he was worried that he would never be able to find someone as good as the writing he never thought he'd be able to find an actor that would be able to give the part it's true justice yeah I think at one point someone was touting I'm not sure if it was Tarantino himself or someone was just generally talking that Leonardo DiCaprio was in the the frame for for Lander I, I, I don't think that would have worked I love DiCap and I think he's a, a fantastic actor and I can't wait to talk about him in Django but I just can't imagine. I can't imagine anyone than than Christoph Waltz in that role. I don't know. Having now having seen obviously DiCaprio in 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 Django Unchained, um, uh, playing Calvin Candy. I imagine he'd probably play Lando in a similar way to that. Yeah, there's a certain mania about so, it. A, a sort of manic. But I do uh, think it's like a it's like a custom coat for Christoph Waltz. It is tailor made for him. You know, he mm. he's he does some, he does some incredible work. He totally deserved the Oscar for that for that role. He's so good that actually Hollywood have kind of just given him just this this like parade of like B movie villains. You know, like they you know he's Blofeld. Yeah, and he's coming back as that. His Blofeld is nowhere near as interesting as Colonel Lander, and he's constantly cropping up in these little kind of bitty uh, villainy kind of roles. Tarantino has certainly given him his best. Two of his best roles, yeah, to date. Um, we could just probably spend the rest of this segment talking about. <laughs> we Christoph could, Waltz. we could, but we've been talking for nearly ten minutes on this. Yeah. Um, what What is there to love about Inglorious Bastards? We've said it. We said we love it, but what What? Let's get into apart from uh, Christoph Waltz aside. 
it's a movie that only Quentin Tarantino could make, and that's what I really like about this this bloke. Like, I think that I've seen a lot of discourse on Twitter recently this week because of the fact that Once Upon a Time in Hollywood's come out, and I know that it's very like film broy to enjoy Quentin Tarantino. Like, everyone's got you know. I was actually just scanning your DVD collection in here, Dan. And I can see that you've got a few Tarantinos up there. I don't, don't shame me. <laughs> I, I, I wouldn't. I wouldn't dare. But I can't see Pulp Fiction up there. So I think you're safe from the, the film bro moniker. I can see The Hateful Eight which actually, and Kill Bill. So I think that perhaps that makes you a little bit more esoteric, perhaps, in your, in your taste. Um, but yeah, I think perhaps it's got... May, maybe it's slightly unfashionable to enjoy Quentin Tarantino now. But I love him, Glorious Bastards because it's a movie that only he could make. Yeah. I it's mean, like two hours and 40 minutes or whatever you know it's it's kind of basically mad it, you're watching these renegade US soldiers going around scalping Nazis yeah um, well someone had to someone had to alongside this kind of sub um, film uh, plot you know with Daniel Brühl and, and, yes, and all that going on yes. to, to think all of that happens in the same movie and it explodes in this third act where well, the entire, everything literally collides. The entire it? high command of the Nazis are blown to bits or machine gunned to death. Whilst the cinema, whilst this the, the smoky ghost of this Jewish woman is cackling in front of this auditorium full of the Nazi high command, it, I've never really seen anything quite like it. Uh, not forgetting uh, Mike Myers. Cameo. But that's that's what I'm saying. Michael Fassbender's in this movie. Yeah, yeah. That is another great sequence in the in the in basement. The basement yeah. You know, it's another. Um, it's an, it, I, I, I love yeah. I think of the, I think of all the fil- I think of the three films we're going to discuss today uh, Once Upon a Time in Hollywood um, not not included uh, Ingrosse Bastard is my favourite yeah of the three it's my, my um, second favourite Quentin Tarantino movie after the cliche of Pulp Fiction I would have liked I mean this is I suppose Tarantino all over but I f- watching it again you as, as someone who's not as not an eighteen year old man, um, so what you know, watching it ten years on, you feel. I don't know if he gives Jewish people quite the uh, attention. Perhaps the film like this maybe should have done. Yeah, I I kind of know what you mean. I think it's. You know, it's the same criticism that we're probably going to have about slavery in the next movie, isn't it? I mean, I have a bigger issue with that, yeah. and we'll talk about that. But I think that. it's and the I think notion we'll... of historical horror, and is there a certain reverence and respect, you know, for for the, the, mm. the trauma and tragedies that went on? Um, I think that perhaps Tarantino's rebuttal to that might well be this explosive kind of, and, and as you said, revisionist finale in which... The Jews get their revenge, but I don't. I don't know if that's enough. But did, I mean, there is. I don't want to get into this too much because we could be talking about it for ages. But yeah, that I like you know the the counter argument being well, the Jews get their revenge in this film. Is I like, did, did anyone did Tarantino talk to any Jewish people about whether or not that is a revenge they particularly wanted? Or perhaps, like, perhaps there's like, a discussion that we're going <laughs> to throw out. In fact, nearly all of these films are probably arguably outside the hate for late. But it, it was like the when. Um, uh, Once Upon a Time in Hollywood was announced and Margot Robbie was, was cast as Sharon Tate. Hmm. We know that... I haven't seen this movie. I've not read any spoilers or anything like that. But I know the Mansons are in it. I know yes. Sharon Tate's in it. And I know it's set in 1969. Yeah. So there is this kind of like ickiness about and it. And I think we've talked about that briefly. We did briefly. Uh, and no doubt we'll talk about um, it a little bit today. Yeah. So, well, I know I'll what you mean. That. But yeah, there's a certain... Uh, Tarantino is never one, I think, to perhaps consider... The context always, no, of what he's doing. I think that not. Why would he let context get in the way of a good I think, movie? And I, I think that's it. I think it comes down to the fact. I remember seeing a quotation from him quite again. There's so much about Tarantino going on on Twitter and things at the moment. I'm not going to bore the listener with it. But someone said something recently that he said he hates this idea in cinema, which I, I you know, I, I really respect and admire him for that. He hates that thinking of the audience members as dumb people that need endless exposition and things like this. He was like, I'm the audience. So he makes films that he wants to see. Yeah. And I suppose that Inglorious Bastards is that he wanted to make this old, you know, it's, it takes its title from, um, like some seventies kind of movie, I think. Yeah. 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 Um, he wanted it to be like the dirty dozen. It's his dirty dozen war movie. So I suppose, no, I like, as you I mean, said, I, why, why, are, let, why let yeah. fact and truth get in the way of a bloody good yarn? 
and it is a kind of it is a ve- it's a very it's good, a punchy story it's a punchy story it's got all you know Tarantino genre blends like no other mm. in you know in recent years um, good soundtrack yes yes uh, but I it would be remiss of us not to touch on I think these controversies yeah and rightly so three bob uh, it's a four bob film I think it's a five bob film I really love this movie. Get out. Yeah. <laughs> I really love this movie. I, I, I think every aspect of this movie works. Um, I don't think it's too long. I like how all of the stories collide and build. And I actually think from a performance level, there's some brilliant stuff. I, I like Brad Pitt in this movie. I think he's very funny. Um, I like the fact he's playing something a little bit different in this movie too. Yeah, absolutely. I agree. There's a, there's, yeah, Brad Pitt puts in a in a, a surprising performance in this. And Hans Lander is up there with like twenty early twenty first century villains, isn't he? With like the Joker and stuff like that. Like when people talk about great movie villains, they're mm. going to talk about Colonel Hans Lander and Vaults. Very few times do you watch a movie and one actor or one character in particular just steals every single scene and. I think Christoph Waltz does that in Inglorious Bastards. He's so magnetic. Um, mm. And the rest of the film kind of is complimentary around him. Django Unchained. So, from Tarantino's interpretation of World War II to Tarantino's interpretation of slavery in the US South. Yeah. I think everyone took a sharp intake of breath when this movie I think when most of these movies were announced to be to be frank with you yeah yeah Django Unchained taking its name from uh, some cowboy movies or a series of, of western movies that had the name yeah, Django yeah so it made sense that after doing as you say you, t- you say that Ingrosh Bastards is Tarantino's dirty doesn't it make sense that he then went and actually made a sort of southern, spaghetti western yeah, type spaghetti thing southern but, yeah spaghetti southern yeah that's definitely kind of influenced by it you know the Sergios, if you want to put it that way, mm. you know, like it's um, it's very widescreen. There's all the panoramics. There's the the you know the little cowboy outfits and the shoot and shootings and bounty hunters and all this kind of stuff. The stuff you would have expected to see in the likes of John Wayne movies and the original Django's and stuff like that. Except it's got this Tarantino twist where the titular Django is a freed slave who alongside uh, this kind of bounty hunter mentor played by Christoph Waltz yeah. is on a mission to to uh, to free his his still enslaved wife Brunhilde yes from Leonardo DiCaprio's Dracula-esque <laughs> Calvin Candy another great romp though like let's talk about the good stuff and yeah, then we yeah, need yeah, to talk yeah, about yeah. the revisionism yeah um, I I don't enjoy this film as much as perhaps the others I feel it. I mean yeah romp is perhaps a good way of putting it There's which a, feels wrong to say some, like yeah no, I say it, you say it and you think you can't really say that about this sort of film but this movie came out within months of 12, 12 Years a Slave as well yeah. and I couldn't help I remember seeing 12 Years a Slave at the London Film Festival in like October and then I think this came out in maybe the January of the following year like um, uh, in, in the UK at least and I don't know hmm. so good things like Christoph Waltz again puts in an amazing performance and again wins an Oscar for his performance and, and again it's like you know it, it, it is, here is an actor who kind of understands Tarantino's uh, his patter his, 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 his rhythm his rhythm it? yeah because he doesn't just play another Colonel Lander like, that's what I like about the character he plays in Django. Schultz isn't just another lander. He has kind of got attributes that are the same. Like, he's got this good patter, as you said. Mm. He's very charismatic. Um, he's, you know, his wordplay is very, very good and well-delivered. Yes. But, but and, he's, 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 and he's a good guy. He's a good guy. That's what I was going to say. Yeah, 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 he's not a villain. He isn't as snaky as, as Lander. No, but Lander was a Nazi. So. <laughs> yeah, that's <laughs> Yeah. He's kind of uh, like a, you know, he's a bounty hunter, but with a heart. Yeah. He abhors slavery. He does, you know, give Django his freedom. So the problem, I mean, so whilst we're on the subject of Schultz, one of the big, like, ways I feel this film kind of kneecaps itself is a good 40 minutes before the end, we, uh, Tarantino kills off the two most interesting characters. Well, it ends 40 minutes before it ends. I suppose that's, there's this weird epilogue, isn't there? And that is easily the worst part of this movie. So we'll talk 
more about with DiCaprio and everything, but everything culminates in that they need to rescue Hildy from um, from the clutches of uh, Calvin Candy, and then they kind of manage it. Yeah. But then everything kicks off in Candy's ranch, which leads to the death of two of arguably the best characters, Candy by DiCap and King Schultz um, by Christoph Waltz. Yeah. And then we've got this whole weird There's segment still, like, yeah, good. where Quentin Tarantino himself cameos yes. and plays an Australian minor or something. Yeah. And then it go, and then we go back to the ranch for basically another violent replay. Yeah, Django in that way, I think, exemplifies the 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 best and the worst of Tarantino. In that way, it's far too long. I think he's as an as a director, he's doomed to have this um, this epitaph of of self indulgence. And Django feels like a deeply self indulgent movie. Uh, more so, I think, even than Inglorious, and I think that they probably run for the same amount of, you know, their their running times are, are probably almost identical. But Django feels a lot more bloated. So I just wanted to raise an interesting point there. That you talk about how this being a self indulgent film. Mm. It's the first film that Tarantino directed post Sally Menke's death, oh, right. um, and Sally Menke was his longtime editor you know he, she edited all of his films right up until Inglourious Basterds where unfortunately she passed away from uh, cancer I think mm. um, so here we have Django Unchained this first film without his long term editor and editors and directors have such an important and close relationship you've really got to be uh, on the same wavelength, the same wavelength. Um, you know in the same way that a director and a DOP when you're in production or you know. podcasters yes exactly yeah, exactly the same <laughs> Um, you're very much the Scorsese to my shoemaker. Yeah. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> um, we need that break, don't we? <laughs> Us and the audience. <laughs> so something I, so something I've always found interesting about Django is that this is the first film post Meg's death, first film that she hasn't edited, and it, lo and behold, it's this bloated, overlong. Um, and it stops and starts, and, doesn't it? And with, with a strange, a strange flow, a flow that doesn't. I mean, I know that Tarantino loves to kind of break up his films into these non, you know, uh, not chronological anyway. And chapters and chapters things. and things. But there's still an element of of the same through line all the way in the, all the way through the film. But with Django, it just feels like it breaks up and is not quite. You've got all these weird asides. You've got that bit with the the, the Ku Klux Klan raid, sort of in the middle somewhere you know Don Johnson turns up for a cameo um, that, that bit's only included because it's funny though like there's absolutely no need for that bit no, it's just because well, it's like a funny thing and it's like yeah. it for me when, when I watch stuff like that it's a little bit that notion of kill, killing your darlings it's so kind of well scripted and funny because I, I mean it's a really funny part yeah. where the clan turn up and actually they can't see out you know they can't no, see through their masks yeah, yeah, but yeah. you're right that actually when, you, when you've got a film that's like two hours and 40 minutes yeah. or whatever and you're thinking could we cut anything and, and the thing about Django Unchained as well is that you talk about this bloated sense you know we, we both said that but it is the most episodic of all, maybe all of his movies it's the one where it's little almost like vignettes or constantly you know, um, the whole reason that Django is busted out by Schultz at the beginning is because he can identify these three brothers, yeah. which they then do, and then by they, you know, they get closer, and then we realise, oh, actually, because it's winter or whatever, um, we can't save Hildy yet, so we'll go on these little mission after mission after mission before we like a computer game, and then we're going to go to the big boss, which is this like Count Dracula Francophile that is Calvin Candy. Most of the first part of that movie could be scrapped, to be like frank. It's literally just there to kind of go, right, we need to take Django from someone who was a, a, a yeah. slave to a respectable bounty hunter. And I wonder if someone, like a figure like um, like Sally Menka, would have been that person to Tarantino Brought and said, discipline, maybe. you know, mate, can we not just... We could get you know, rid of some of the beginning and This film goes the all end. over the place. Yeah. Like, I cannot get past how, like, like, still now, seeing it again after all this time, and I haven't seen it since, uh, this is the first time I've seen it since the cinema, you, 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 uh, I can't get over how this kind of, it kind of ends, it has this definite ending, <laughs> this great climax, and then we've got a load of, um, nothing for a bit longer. Yeah. Yeah, it's, I agree. What's the good stuff in this movie, though? 
uh, Waltz yeah. and DiCaprio are brilliant. Waltz doing another, you know, as I've said already, a great another great turn for for Tarantino. DiCaprio making his debut in a Tarantino film uh, to to great effect. Candy's such a it, it's a it's a delicious role. It's a delicious and role. We talked about Brad Pitt having a slightly kind of out of uh, out of character role for himself in Bastards, and here DiCaprio is given a very sort of different role to what we're used to him playing. Yeah, and plays it with such a, you know this manic intensity that is kind of culminates in famously him actually cutting his hand open during a scene which is the, it's the take you see in the film he, and he, he smashes a, something on the table he's such a preening idiot as well there's some wonderful little touches you know like he's got this tremendous ego yeah. he, he thinks of himself as, as so much better than the black people that, are, like, that he owns and I think one of my and I, I was going to say, in terms of performances, Samuel L. Jackson, I think, is in, is, is brilliant, I think, in, in there. He plays this yes. horrible little Igor, Uncle Tom kind of character. Yeah. And the little double act that Samuel L. Jackson and DiCaprio have got going, where there's a, a, a part where Christoph Waltz, who can speak about 40 different languages and makes jokes in them and all this kind of stuff, and he talks about, you know, the panache. He wants to create the Black Hercules. They're talking about Mandingo fighters, aren't they? Yeah, yeah. And he talks about having panache. And DiCaprio, like Candy, pretends he knows what it means. And uh, Samuel L. Jackson's like, what, what, what's panache? And DiCaprio's annoyed that he's being called out, so he kind of offers it up to his little tiny yeah, touches yeah, like yeah, that. Yeah, it's yeah. really, really <laughs> lovely. Um, yeah, there's, there's, there's great chemistry there. They, all the actors do wonderful things with the script, which is, is equally good. We haven't talked about Jamie Foxx yeah. as the titular Django. But do you know the role apparently was originally intended for Will Smith? I had read And that, then yeah. Will Smith apparently read the script and said that King Schultz was a much better role he was like so no because I'm not the lead in this movie and that's why um, I don't know whether or not that's one of those internet urban myths who knows who can say uh, probably true possibly true Django is fine he's probably the least interesting character yeah but I mean if that story about Smith is true then I mean Smith was onto something there no disrespect to Fox who who puts in a in a in a fine performance who does what he you know does does what what he's been given um, there's that wonderful scene where he where he has the the drink with um, Franco Nero who is who is cameoing. Oh yeah, so the original Django, the Franco original Nero, Django, yeah. um, who I thought was dead, but well, I mean, he, I think he is now, um, but was very very game to sort of appear as himself. Mm. Um, anyway, I I, I digress. Uh, it, other than outside of that, I just there's I, I don't think there's a lot to love about this film. The soundtrack again is incredible. I like the kind of hip hop influence that they've brought in yeah, alongside okay. a lot of the Western tunes. <coughs> Kerry Washington's Born Hilda is kind of underwritten. I suppose that's probably a criticism that I think a lot of people say about um, certain female characters in 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 Tarantino's uh, yeah. canon. Uh, she kind of lives to she exists to be the. Well, she's almost the MacGuffin, isn't she? Yeah, yeah that's the you know that's what they're after. That's the, the the point of the film is to get Broomhilda. There's still a gung ho um, charm to this movie. I think you have to kind of overlook. You're right. You have to overlook the. I there is perhaps a kind of muddled view of the horrors of slavery. We do see Mandingo fighting. We do see the the chap that's um, torn apart by dogs. Yeah. Uh, the the kind of one man on a horse galloping to save his wife maybe undercuts that slightly at the end it has yeah there's i think there's a there is a there's a legitimate criticism here that you know is this a should tarantino have done a film about slavery like this that's going to be quite revisionist <laughs> yeah I don't know, you know I, uh, it, I think I like this movie more than it's you one do. thing it's one thing to kind of do a revisionist take on Nazis everyone hates the Nazis mm. and you know okay yep great good to see them all kind of burning uh, burning up and being machine gunned to death in a in a in a in a cinema it's quite another thing to be like, right, right I'm going to do slavery now. And I suppose it, he, his, his depiction of the slavers and, and like white people in the South at the time are is very reminiscent of how he depicts the Nazis, though. You mm-hmm. know, like, you know, Goebbels in Inglourious Bastards seems this kind of like reptilian, you know, salivating character. Yeah. In this one, all of the, they're all rednecks and hillbillies. You know, every single one of them is, is 
foul and, and, and incredibly racist and greedy and, and an idiot and I suppose that that, that com- is supposed to compound this again almost euphoric revenge maybe, maybe it's probably time for him to, to not keep doing revenge movies over and over I don't know I, I definitely enjoy this movie I wonder I if this film could have done I mean could this film have still worked if Django wasn't a slave like he doesn't need did he need to be a freed slave could you do a Django film like how it was done, how the original Django's were, these spaghetti westerns. But the movie is a slave movie, though, isn't it? I suppose would be the retort to that. It hinges on the fact that it, you know, is built around this notion of sl- the slaves versus the slavers. Hmm. Yes, that's... let's bob it. Um, three bob, I think. I'm going to go with four, Bob. I like this movie more than you do. I, I think Clearly. it is its vices. I, I mean, actually, I would say that I, I thoroughly enjoy this movie until the last 20 minutes. You know, I really, really enjoy this movie until the last 20 minutes, even though it bounces around a little bit. It's The thing about Tarantino movies is really outside one, which is um, Death Proof. Yeah. And maybe actually the overindulgences in certain parts of Kill Bill. I just enjoy spending time watching these movies. Like... It's very. He's a very charismatic. No, I, I, that, I completely agree. Though, yeah, there's a, there's definite definite charisma there. Absolutely. Mm. Um, I think maybe I just maybe I watched it too close to Inglorious Bastards, which yeah. I love. Light for light. So we talked about Django Unchained being overstuffed and overlong. Mm. Um, Hateful Eight is what three hours. If not, it's close to it. Yeah, uh, I think it's actually towards the the latter half of the two hours. Here is a yeah. film that I think straight off the straight off the bat. I believe a while ago there were rumours that it was going to be released on Netflix as a mini series, like it was going to be recut. It has been, hasn't it? Oh, has it really? Yeah, Tarantino oh, okay, himself right. has recut it. Apparently. Oh, okay. I'm well, not sure if it's available on the. I'm not sure if it's available on UK Netflix or it's just about to be. Right. But I'm pretty sure that those rumours, and then people were like, "Oh, oh, bloody Netflix doing this," and Tarantino was like, "No, I recut it." So it, <laughs> okay, I don't know. Well, that, I haven't uh, seen it, but apparently it has been recut as like a mini series. Yeah. So so I mean, if you've seen the film, uh, eight strangers. Uh, hold up in a in a sort of halfway house somewhere in in the mountains, like, the Dakota or something, in one of the Dakotas. So yeah, um, and uh, over yeah, the course of the, over the course of the evening that they're stuck in, there's a blizzard and they're all they're all stuck there. And over the course of the evening, uh, you know, tensions ratchet up, and uh, you know, things are revealed, and they've kind of got connections that are going to be um, yeah. revealed as and well and it may be that actually they're not eight strangers at all yeah. and perhaps they're not all there quite by accident and it's a great concept and yeah. I love the idea that it's like a like a it's like a play well if Inglorious um, is uh, is a war movie and Django is a western this is an Agatha Christie story isn't it this is Quentin Tarantino's <laughs> yes. Agatha Christie Tarantino does Agatha Christie I mean Agatha, Agatha Christie would be turning in her grave but Nicholas Winding Refn did uh, Marple so why not Tarantino do uh Touche. Yeah. Touche. Um, so, but, but, so I then, so to skip back to the point I was going to make at the beginning there, that the, it's a very long film, but it is done in such a way that actually it lends itself very well to being a mini series. So, I, what I was going to say, I would very much like to watch this recut, eight episode long or nine episodes, whatever you did of it, uh, version, um, and see how it plays out as a TV series. Because, my God, this film is long. It is and a very long movie. There are points where it drags, and, you know, there's only so much. That the, a great cast that includes the likes of Samuel Jackson, Jennifer Jason Lee, Kurt Russell, all these, you know. Um, Bruce Dern, who, you know, still with us. Yeah. Uh, I forgot that he does a little cameo in Django, actually, doesn't he, Bruce Dern? He is the one that initially sold um, oh, Django yeah, yeah. for cheap. <laughs> He plays the similarly kind of yes, racist. The same, the same, same old racist. racist. Yeah. yeah. Uh, it, I think it's four 50 minute parts. Is, four, uh, okay. Yeah. Right. Imagine turning a movie into four 50 minute parts as well. That's madness, isn't it? You know, that's a long, long movie. Imagine, like you, have, you have 200 minutes to play with there. Yeah. So that means that presumably there are parts that were like cut. I remember I saw this movie on Christmas Eve, Dan. Um, it is very festive yeah well was, yeah, there was snow in it uh, and I was in Florida <laughs> actually and the, Tarantino was doing this thing called it was like called the Hateful Eight Roadshow or something like that 
and I went to go and see it in downtown Disney. Right. They've got this like AMC cinema there, and they uh, they did it as if it was like an old fashioned movie. So um, there was like an intermission and stuff like that halfway through. They did um, the overture. So it was an interesting experience. And yeah. again, one that only the likes of fun. Yeah. Quentin Tarantino can really do. Yeah, only he could pull that off. Only he could, he could demand that sort of... Yeah, you know, that attention, attention, that kind of presentation. Yeah. And I like that. I like the fact that we've got people like this out there. I like the fact that Quentin Tarantino seemingly makes these movies. I mean, it's a bit, He is mad though, isn't he? He, he is. is mad. I mean, it's nice that this one I don't really think has many feet in it, or at least not that are, are so fetish. Oh, I've heard he makes up for that in... In Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. Is that true? Yeah. Uh, with The Hateful Eight, it's, you know, it's basically a three-hour talkie. Yeah. The, the, it, you said it about it being a play. It basically is a play. Right. Yeah. Is a, there, there's two locations in this entire thing. You know, there's like a bit of mountain and then the habit. Well, you've got, you've got the haberdashers and and the stagecoach, effectively. Yeah. Oh, oh yeah. and a bit of the and bar. And a bit of mountain. You know, yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. What do we like and what do we dislike about this movie then? I love the characters that he paints. Yes. Um, Each as fiendish as the last. Yes, it's like a proper, you know, it's a proper rogues gallery. It's exactly the sort of cast of characters you'd expect in an Agatha Christie style mystery. Yeah. Um, I do enjoy how it all ties up at the end. I think I just, I just dislike how long it takes us to get there. Mm. Um I like that, and I, and I like that, in, and, and in traditional Tarantino style, you know, whereas normally, you know, the, the likes of Poirot would have everything tied up in a neat little bow at the end, thanks to his little grey cells. Yeah. In Tarantino, of course, it all goes to well, shit. Well, those grey cells are like splattered all over well, the yeah, wall. Well, yeah, the grey cells along yeah. the rest of them's brains are all over the haberdasher's walls. Yeah. Um, along with a priceless guitar. Have you read about this story? No. The, the, um, the scene where Kurt Russell's character breaks that guitar apart. Mm. Um, <laughs> the prop department had bought this priceless uh, you know like era correct guitar Christ and he smashed it and they were like this is the real thing and then for the scene that you smash it up we've got a replica you can see where this is going I know exactly where this is going so Russell's just doing the scene and getting into it and no one told him well someone hadn't like done the switch so Russell just Bust. destroyed and that's what you see on camera yeah. him destroying this 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 like antique <laughs> Christ I imagine they resurrected Abraham Lincoln for the letter as well didn't they that's madness um, he's great in it though in fact there's only one actor that I think is too much in this in this movie and that would be Tim Roth's character I think that he plays him a little and I, I, it's funny actually I thought this and the person I saw this movie with said exactly the same thing when we walked outside mm. we both thought it was a little bit like I'm going to be the Christoph Waltz of this movie <laughs> you know he's Oswaldo Mulberry it yes. actually turns out to be like English Pete or whatever um, yeah something like yeah. that I think both of those both the kind of the gentlemanly hangman and the roguish kind of Danny Dyer villain that he turns out to be at the end neither of them work it's too hammy the Tim Roth's off is far too hammy yeah, it's not it's not Roth's greatest performance. Um, Especially when you good compare, to see him back in a Tarantino film. Yeah, for sure. It, it, but when you compare it to like Walton Goggins, is just ridiculous. <laughs> like Southern Sheriff, <laughs> who I still think he manages to play that role on the right side of pantomime because he's yeah. very exaggerated in his mannerisms. Chris Mannix or Maddox is it the the apparent apparent new sheriff of Red Rock. And he's just this, just like vile, like southern, like racist who who's kind of about to get a star pinned on him. Yeah. But he like he knows the law, and you know he's he's uh, resentful due to the you know. The he's great because Goggins' sort of Tarantino debut was Django, I think. Wasn't he, he was. He, he plays the, he, again. He plays the he plays the camera as a yes. racist. In yeah. There. He's only in like two or three scenes before he's he's shot. Yeah. Whereas he kind of basically steals the show I think in, in, in this movie mm. just a just an awful character so expertly played um, Samuel L. Jackson is of course fantastic in it but basically plays a kind of you know uh, late I wonder know. sometimes if all Samuel L. Jackson's characters in Tarantino films are Related, like like a Spideyverse kind of thing, like a multi the Samuel L. Jackson multiverse. Well, no, more I don't know, more like they're all you know they're all descendants or in some fashion that you know. Well, they there are links, aren't there, between each movie? There is like a like yes. a, a, a kind of. Well, link. it's canon, isn't it? That um, the uh, the Vega brothers are 
you know that's that's a, that's actually a thing. So yeah. Vincent Vega and and um, and of course he's in it, Michael. And yes, mm-hmm. my, yeah, Michael uh, Madsen. Uh, so his yeah his 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 character in Reservoir Dogs is the brother of John Travolta's character in yeah, Pulp, Pulp Fiction. Because there's so, always, that's the thing about these Tarantino yeah. movies, aren't there? There's always like oh he's going to make this movie and Kill Bill Volume Three, which is going to be dredged up by the internet all over again. And mm. um, the Hateful Eight, I suppose, in the same way like Django exemplifies to use that word again purposefully the the best bits and the worst bits of Tarantino's own like kind of don't all his films isn't this yeah you're probably right it, I mean uh, the man never learns it, 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 they, it, they're so well written they're zingy kind of dialogue that goes back and forth between mm. the characters yes it's long but it's still very watchable there's I can't really remember a few times I, I could definitely feel it's heels dragging towards the end but there's no moment in this movie where I'm actively bored or I'm kind of waiting to fast forward through or anything mm. like that it just um, it's a bit lumbering and it and it's a little dare I say full of itself you know you, you spoke about the editing in Django Unchained yeah. perhaps there, a certain pair of scissors could have been made where it's like look yeah and Tarantino loves he loves his stuff, doesn't he? he? Loves he loves what he's written. Um, he loves his own work, and he. And he wants the, you to love it too. It's probably the, he's probably the last person that says, "Oh yeah, you're right. I'll cut that out. I'll cut that bit out. It's not needed. Everything is in there for a reason." Well, that's needed. it. And I, and whether or um, not it's there to serve the story or just to merely entertain. And I suppose and and it, going to a Tarantino movie is a bit like going out to the theatre, though, isn't it? And I think that now what we're apparently nine movies or whatever you want to say in. I think his his kind of quotation of uh, you know if you go to a Metallica concert you're not going to go in there and ask him to turn it down. <laughs> I think it, it is Tarantino, isn't it? For for, for, for by yeah, by yeah, no, sorry. Hate Blade's a Tarantino movie. Let's bob it. I'm going to give it four. You like this one more than Django, yeah? I think so. I'm going to go for a four as well. Yeah. I just like being in. I, I, you I love it, don't you? I do. I, I, I feel. I don't. I don't want to apologize for it because I feel like it's. I feel like I'm kind of saying that actually to enjoy Tarantino is this like weird guilty pleasure or something. No, I, I don't uh, think that's true. Yeah, I, don't that. I think he really is one of the the charisma of uh, uh, and the the showmanship and craft of his films means look 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 at the attention that a man like him can generate for a movie that is not franchised. You know, yeah. um, uh, Once Upon a Time in Hollywood is going to be one of the biggest movies of the year. It's going to be one of the biggest movies of the summer, and that goes to say something when it goes up against the likes of Spider Man and the rest of the Marvel movies and and Men in Black and all that kind of stuff. So yeah, it's a four bob movie. Uh, it's a bit talky, maybe. <laughs> Tarantino and the future. Yes, uh, I don't have a jingle for this one. No, never. Uh, so we've talked, we've touched on Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. That's his next one. That's coming out this summer. Yeah, time of recording. Talk- I think it's about two or three weeks away. But it premiered annoyingly um, <laughs> yesterday. I think in the United States. Yeah. Don't understand that gap at all. I really don't. I'm sure there's some financial there incentive be, yeah. there. Uh, so politics beyond us I know that with The Hateful Eight obviously it became uh, Cineworld refused to show it because of some weird catch reason didn't they so I wondered if it was something to do with that no one's really spoken about but yeah it comes out in two or three weeks time two or three weeks time uh, we've already said it's sort of it's set in 1969 it follows Leonardo DiCaprio's uh, Rick Dalton yeah sort of not quite washed up actor I'm not sure if that's I think fair, he's basically not, on his way to yeah, get washed up along with his stuntman played by Brad Pitt and I don't know much about the plot. What I know is that they are neighbours, or he is, his, his character's neighbour is Sharon Tate. Tate. Now, Sharon Tate is a real-life person mm. who uh, was um, uh, an actress. And in 1969, she was famously, infamously, uh, brutally murdered by people, uh, the, the members of the Manson family, mm. a cult of lunatics. Yeah. Um, um, uh, uh, under okay. the under the thrall of one Charles Manson, who you know is is a character in this movie. Yeah. So these real life people, and 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 she was like, it was a horrible, horrible murder. Well, she was eight or nine months pregnant at the time. 
yeah. and the I mean we don't I don't really want to go into the kind of graphic nature of it you can look that up no, yourself yeah. it, it, it was a, a butchering I think is probably fair so to say. there's a lot of talk ahead of this film coming out and obviously you and I can't, can only still speculate about exactly what sort of role Sharon Tate is going to play in this film in a Tarantino film in a, in a film of a man who is known for enjoying a bit of gory bloody violence in his films and there is a sadism to that violence and is he going to take it would he dare take it as far as actually depicting a real life gory bloody violent event the acclaim that this film has received and as I said ahead of its US premiere there have been various publications that have released their reviews of which I haven't purposefully not read Mm. but the acclaim suggests to me that perhaps he's not going to go down that kind of troll. Yes, there's been no screaming headlines no. of condemnation. And the fact that it's been very, very acclaimed, I think, you know, the, the faithful barometer of quality, Dan, of, of Rotten Tomatoes, I think puts it in the, the 90%, um, 90 percentile. So that suggests to me that perhaps there isn't this kind of horrendous uh, reconstruction of something that, that would be very in undignified I yeah think, we touched it. I think we, t- we touched on this on a previous podcast and it would be a bit it would be, be beyond the pale to depict those events for any kind of commercial entertainment reasons mm. in my opinion no definitely I think that I think the world stands with you there, yeah. <laughs> I think I think I think so too I don't think there even I think the most ardent Tarantino fan like even myself I think I've put myself in that position in this podcast I would feel very icky sitting like, there you know, by all means kill Hitler mm. <laughs> on yeah. camera but yeah I, I, you know. I, I agree I'm kind of just hoping that it will be do you know what I'm hoping it will just going to be a good Tarantino movie I'm hoping that I'm going to go there it's probably going to be overly long let's be honest <laughs> the characters are going to be zingy and punchy yeah the plot line is going to be all over the place it's going to be a bit non-linear and, and there'll be an explosive finale and that's kind of what I'm hoping for there are certain it's a direct, Tarantino film. And I don't want him to reinvent the wheel. And maybe, I don't know, I know there's a lot of... I wonder if we live in this weird echo chamber now. You know, we spoke about The Matrix in the last podcast, and you think about Twitter, and Dan was fairly horrified to find that film Twitter had gone after Sally Menk and um, Thelma Schoonmaker, um, yeah, Martin I, Scorsese's I long-term. completely missed this. Yeah, it's one of, I think from it's been an offshoot of one of those bad film tweet accounts, and it's, it's brought up all of this kind of negative energy. But the truth is, is that... And, and by extension, a lot of people have been criticising Leonardo DiCaprio. There was a, a recent article, I think, by perhaps the Hollywood Reporter or or One Room of the View dot com. One of the two. One of the one of the greats. And it was saying about how DiCaprio is the last great um, film star in a world now where like even Tom Cruise isn't like a film star anymore. Like DiCaprio is okay. like he brings. It was you know it's very yeah, kind of fluffy yeah, yeah, yeah. And, and very very promotional to uh, and very biased towards Leonardo DiCaprio. And a lot of people came out and criticised him, saying, well, actually, no, he isn't a, fi- a great film star. He's very safe. He he hasn't done anything of real worth, which I think is a bit unfair. He hasn't worked with female directors. He hasn't done this. He hasn't done that. It was this, like, shopping list of, like, what yeah, he hadn't I think, done. Yeah. And I wonder... I wonder what people want sometimes. I wonder what, what is the end game here. What's the zenith? I don't want Quentin Tarantino to reinvent the wheel. I like Quentin Tarantino movies for the most part. There are some that are better than others. There are certain aspects of it that still sit ill with me. But for the most part, I enjoy going to see a Tarantino movie. Yeah. And it feels sad that I'm kind of being pushed into apologising for that now. Um, there are definitely some... There, I'm not, we're not even going to bother to go into them today because there is enough discourse out there to say, you know, his flagrant use of racial slurs his kind of slightly perverse relationship with female roles and there has been some definitely untoward things he said in the press but I don't want him to reinvent the wheel I don't it's like when people talk about this like apparently like Tarantino Star Trek thing and he says well if he directs it that'll be his last ever movie as fascinating as it would be to see him remix a Star Trek movie I'd much rather someone announce that he was going to do a Tarantino science fiction movie yeah I don't think I think the Star Trek stuff is is, is guff I don't think he's going to do that I don't if, if, if he wants to stick to this whole I'm doing 10 and I'm out then his final movie isn't going to be something of a in a in a, a you know a hammy franchise mm. it's going to be a it's out and a out Tarantino, Tarantino blast do you yeah. think he will stick to this 10 film thing or do you think there'll be a loophole you think there's going to be a ah? Hmm. I know that um, 
P, uh, Paul. Combine, combine some of the films into like just retroactively be like, oh yeah, the uh, Hateful Eight is a sequel to Django Unchained, <laughs> or it's the, it's the same story. So he said, um, he said recently he was like, I, I don't wish to stop being creative. I just think after ten movies, I would have done everything I can with cinema. So he says that he might go into like book writing or playwriting. Yeah, and things so like that. yeah, I think I've read about that. Yeah, I think that'd be interesting. I think this kind of cap is slightly bizarre. I don't know why he loves movies. This man lives and breathes and eats and makes and watches movies. You know, every time he announces what his favourite movies of the year are, they surge in popularity. People care. I think it's a very odd handicap to put on himself. I will definitely be finishing after my next movie. And maybe it'll be talked around. We'll see. I can't wait to find out. Housekeeping. Don't have a jingle for that. No, never have, never will. So this is the last podcast for a while, Dan. Uh, It's the end of the summer trilogy that has become our hallmark, (laughs) if you will. Uh, so if you haven't listened we you know we've released them all in one kind of big binge worth um, we've released them all in one kind of big binge that you can make so we looked at originally the Toy Story movies yeah. we looked at the Matrix and now we've looked at the, the latter part of the Tarantino films mm. we would love to hear no doubt when we come back we'll probably do a some film reloaded or I'd something. love to talk about uh, Once Upon a Time in Hollywood when we get back yeah, yeah absolutely that's a promise that we can make then uh, but we're going to take don't, some time. don't say promise alright there, there's a um, a hint of yeah. what might come later on in our I think seventh season I should have definitely looked that up before Uh, anyway if anyone knows please write in we we will be finishing for a little while we usually take some time off after the summer anyway but I am going around the world for a while so (laughs) I'll be back at the beginning of November so we will come back in November so we're going to take September and October off uh, you lucky things yeah you lucky lucky things Um, but we'll be back with the you know we're back with the usual tosh won't we the games and if it ain't broke if it ain't broke what we don't want one room of the view show to reinvent the wheel Dan yeah we just don't want that so you can um, visit the website www.oneroomoftheview.com for latest reviews feature articles discourse dismantling etc etc do contact us about uh, your thoughts on any of the movies we've discussed over these summer specials, particularly interested in hearing what you've got to hear, uh, to say about this Tarantino um, unpacking and discussion and debate that's going on at the moment. That's podcast at oneroomwithaview.com. You can follow us on Twitter at oneroomwithaview. Like us on Facebook, oneroomwithaview. Uh, I think we're on Instagram and, oh, and we're everything everywhere. else. Dan. Everywhere. Uh, you can follow Dan at Mr. Alton, M-I-S-T-E-R, and I'm at the Preston Knight. But until November, cheerio.